ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. He's Alan Martin. I'm Rich Shane. This is Fermented Adventure, the podcast. Alan, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Well, I'm so excited. I'm glad you're here. You're coming live from your mead-making extravaganza in Arizona, yes? Yes, Phoenix area. Mm-hmm. Now, is it fair to call you mead maker, Alan? Yeah, that's, yeah. I'm kind of getting that title now, yeah. Okay, so what I'm excited about and what I want to know, and we're going to talk about your journey and your story. How did you get started in mead making? Yeah, well, that journey started about five years ago. Um, my my wife is a is a really good home beer brewer, and um, through her connections and her her beer friends, uh, we went to this bottle share. And at that bottle share party at a house was uh, Carvin Wilson. Uh, for those of you that don't know Carvin, he is to me like the the home guru mead maker extraordinaire in this country, at least. So at the time, I had never really tried mead. I, I thought mead was more like wine. And at the time, I didn't like wine, so I didn't think I would like mead. Well, Carvin, being the person that he is, took that challenge and grabbed me right around the head and said, come try my meads. You're going to like them. I started trying his meads one at a time. And I remember at the time, I had my favorite beer in my left hand. It was uh, a Golden Monkey, a really good Trapel. And uh, that beer got warm in my left hand as I was sipping his meads. And, and after about 20 minutes, I was feeling really good because meads are pretty strong. And uh, I shouted over to my wife. I said, Jackie, I'm going to start making this stuff. And everybody kind of giggled and laughed and, you know, but I was serious. So that started the big rabbit hole journey down into meat making. So it was love at first sip for you then, wasn't it? Absolutely. Uh, before then, I was kind of a Bud Light guy, never really liked any kind of alcohol, the, the actual flavor. Um, I pretty much drank just to be sociable and to, you know, feel good. But uh, I never really liked much of it, any kind of alcohol until I tried meat. And I just loved the flavors. And uh, yeah, I was hooked. You met Carvin. What were your next steps to get into mead making from there? I just started reading, um, reading, 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 and, and dove into trying to learn. Carvin was nice enough to send, send me an invitation to uh, Modern Mead Makers Facebook group, which has been um, probably my biggest influence. Um, because on that uh, on that group is so many commercial and home mead makers that are at the top of their game. So 
between reading, internet, uh, Facebook group. Um, and then I just started making meets and, and one after the other, one after the other. First started off just making gallon at a time. Um, but after all the work that goes into it and you only get like eight or nine bottles, uh, that became uh, like, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. So I bumped it up to two and a half gallon batches. And now I still do two and a half to five gallon batches. But yeah, just a, just dove right in and learned as much as I could through reading uh, groups online and uh, making it. Do you remember your first mead and what it was like for you to start trying that first mead? Uh, one of my favorite flavors is like just or I like orange. I like the flavor of orange. So I was thinking uh, I'm going to make a wanted to make an orange creamsicle mead. So a mead had a lot of orange and some and some vanilla uh, flavors to kind of get that creamsicle flavor. And you know it didn't turn out that great. Um, but I think the second mead I made was a was a fluff nutter. And if you're if you're from the New England area, you know what that is. That's peanut butter and marshmallow fluff. And um, I used a particular type of honey called metal foam to get the marshmallow. And I used uh, some extract to get the peanut butter flavor. And that actually came out pretty well. But yeah. That sounds tremendous. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had that combination of meat before. Yeah. And the fluff nutter, you know, Carvin talked to me to start to, he goes, just start entering contests. It doesn't matter how good you do. You'll get good feedback, blah, blah, blah. So I actually entered that met, um, fluff nutter into the, into a Mazer cup, which is like the Super Bowl of, of, of mead comps. And uh, it actually got pushed to the second round. So I was really excited about that, but uh it didn't end up winning any medals, but it was like, you know, it kind of gave me a little excitement as far as competing. Being that you're in Arizona, how is it for you to source honey and even the equipment? Geographically, we're from, you know, the, the Philadelphia area. What's it like for you? And, and talk about, you know, maybe some of the local honeys that you're sourcing. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people think of Arizona is just being, you know, a desert, you know, the Phoenix area is a big metropolitan area. We have everything here. Um, we have a local uh, honey, honey provider named Crockett Honey. They have a lot of really good local honeys, but really I outsource a lot of my honeys um, just buying online, you know, and paying for shipping. I've actually gotten some honeys from, from Africa. They have some really rich, rich, deep, so flavorful honeys there um, that are hard to get, but those add a lot of complexity to a lot of my meads that I make. So pretty much all over. Now we met at MeadCon in Baltimore and, you know, what I can say is meeting you and talking to you and getting to know you a little bit better. I was so impressed and even getting a chance to hear that, Hey, this is a five-year journey that you're on right now. You've accomplished a lot in five years. Is that your personality that when you, you know, start with something, you're, you're going right at it and there's, there's this, you're very detailed and you're very precise as to what you want to accomplish. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, my goal in the beginning wasn't to um, enter comps and to win Mead Maker of the Year and, and all that. You know, my goal was to just make good mead. So that, that got the ball rolling and I am the kind of person that I don't like to do things, you know, halfway or, or, or don't do a hundred percent as well as I can do at anything. Um, so I just started making tons of mead. They got better. I entered local comps. 
Um, it took a while before I started winning local comps, and then I started entering nationwide mead comps. Um, and then for some reason, one day I was looking online, and I didn't even know that the AMMA, which is the American Mead Makers Association, I didn't even know that they existed. I just happened to fall upon that somewhere online. And uh, I saw they had a, a Mead Maker of the Year competition, and I opened up, and I'm looking down this, I'm scrolling down the names on there, you know, first place all the way down. They had like, like 50 names on there. I'm getting down, I'm getting like, Alan Martin. I'm like, holy crap, my name That's is on me. the list. <laughs> I'm like, holy crap. And I'm like, wait a minute. I don't want to be down here at 20-something place. The hell with that. I want to be at the top. And that really got my motivation going for uh, competitions and winning comps. Well, you led a whole panel discussion. You were part of a panel discussion, and you talked about competitions. And you, I was really fascinated. You know, a lot of what you think through, there's a definiteness of purpose that you really think through. And the detail as far as entering competitions, I was fascinated by a lot of that conversation and just the ideas and the strategy. There's strategy that goes into this, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you want to win, you're competing against other people that want to win. And you're competing against people that think they're, they make good meat as well. And a lot of them do. So every little inch of, of, of advantage that you can uh, get yourself going into those contests, you know, such as, like I mentioned there, uh, you know, entering a, a, a previously um, category that you know had a low entry count. So now instead of competing against 20 something meads for that medal, you're competing maybe against 10. So the odds are you have a better chance. Now, does that mean you're going to win if you make a terrible meat? No, you still have to make good meat, but you can increase your odds by doing simple little things like that. I think a lot of these strategies do apply across the board. So if you're a home brewer, if you're doing home cider, well, we know nobody's home distilling supposedly, right? So, um, but, but the idea is you, you refine through the process of what you're making. You, you look to see and, you know, go back and see maybe some comments, um, some feedback that people got on, on their needs, or you understand who's judging a little bit too, don't you? Absolutely. Um, you know, after entering so many contests, you, you get the kind of a feel for what the judges like and what they pick out and don't pick out. So you start fine tuning your, excuse me, your strategies. Um, as far as, you know, when you enter a, a particular mead, you have to, depending on the category, list the ingredients. Well, a lot of judges will pick apart ingredients if they don't perceive each one of those ingredients that you list. So it's really important to taste your meat right before you send it in and then only list the ingredients that you can perceive. Because if you list an ingredient you say is in there and they can't perceive it, you're going to get dinged on that. So that's another little, another little trick. I hope people are listening and not just listening, but taking notes. You like the competition, don't you? Because it makes you better. So if there's a meat maker out there that, you know, is gunning for you, and I'm sure there are at this point, but I also think you're gunning for you, aren't you? You're your competition. I, I, I tell everybody I have no secrets. I will tell anybody anything about what I do and my, my processes, the way I ferment, the honeys I use, the recipes. I don't care. I want everybody to make great meat. So, you know, if, 
and I, and I plan to do the full competition circuit again next year. And there's some really, really good mead makers out there that are competing. And, you know, if I get my butt kicked, I'm fine with that. So that'll just, you know, light a fire into me to get, to get better. So. Are there things in the mead world you have not made yet that you're thinking about, or maybe some ideas in your head that uh, you just haven't created just now? I haven't really uh, divulged or, or made a, a Polish style mead yet, which I, I want to do. Um, but there's, that's like a whole nother category or chapter of learning uh, to learn how to make a Polish mead and, and they need to uh, age for a long time. So there's the whole time factors. If you're, if you're in a rush and you're in a hurry, that's definitely not the category you want to try to make. I've not heard or been introduced to a Polish style meat either, but what is the characteristic of that that sets that apart, makes it different besides the aging uh, time? Well, one of the things is, is they use a ratio um, when they're, as far as their honey uh, volume to water volume. So they do, you know, three to one, two to one, one to one, uh, as far as their ratios. And that kind of, that's kind of a Polish thing. Um, so if you get lower on the ratio, like a one to one, you have just as much honey as you do water. That's going to be a really sweet meat, right? So in order for it to, to get to a place where it's going to be really drinkable, you're going to have to have a high ABV, right? If you just put all that honey in and try to ferment that, your, your yeast is going to go, no. <laughs> it's, it's going to overwhelm the yeast. Yeah. But anyways, that much sugar creates too much pressure for the yeast to, to deal with. So you have to step feed. And that's one of the things I need to learn how to do in order to make a Polish meat is to learn how to step feed my yeast, right? So you get that higher ABV, it balances out all that sweetness and then maybe oaking it, putting it in a barrel over time or and whatnot. So that's just something I haven't really tackled yet. Well, I, I, I hope I'm there to try this when you do tackle it and you do uh, get to that point where you've perfected it. What I will share is the meads that we tried that you brought were such a treat. They were delicious. They were refreshing. Unlike a lot of, unlike any mead that I can say I've ever had. And it really helped me understand, you know, the difference in a lot of ways between that home brewer, that home mead maker, and those that are making on a commercial scale. You shared some of those tips and ideas, how you're refining slightly along the way to bring out flavors, to bring out brightness, to bring out sweetness, to bring out acid. And, and these are just things you learned as you went forward, aren't they? Yeah, just, uh, you know, again, more reading. I never just said, well, I've learned enough now. Now I'm good. Now I'm not going to learn anymore. That's that's not a good attitude to have because there's always more that you can learn. Um you know, fine tuning those those meads. Um, and another thing I talked about at the mead con was, you know, always taste your meads right before you send them in because they sit in the bottle on your shelf or, or in bulk or whatever. Every few months, the, that, the complexity of those meads is going to change. You know, sometimes you lose some brightness. Sometimes some of the flavors, you know, uh, dissipate. Um, so you really need to to open those things up and taste them before you send them in. Talk awesome. about talk about MeadCon. Talk about what that experience was like for you this year. 
Yeah, that was my very first MeadCon, and I did not know what to expect at all. Um, I had been to uh, a homebrew con before for NHC, and that was just a huge, just like thousands of people. Um, and and the uh, MeadCon was like that. It was much more, uh, it was smaller, it was more, uh, and it was actually more commercial, much more commercial people than it was home. So that was, that kind of threw me off guard a little bit um you know i was tasting all these these commercial meads and i'm and i was giving them my my honest feedback um and and i didn't hold any punches i don't know if you were there for some of that but um i was actually there for some of that yes (laughs) so i'm telling all these commercial people what what they should do with their meads not knowing that they were even they were professionals so um but i think that's when you when everybody gets together in that kind of environment they want to be vulnerable. They want to be open. And where the mead industry is today at such an infancy, mm-hmm. that kind of feedback helps everybody. Because when, like you had that experience, hey, we're just drinking some beers. Somebody comes over and says, I've got mead. You're like, what's that? And then you try it and you become a fan. Now, not everybody goes to the extremes you do, Alan, where are <laughs> like, I'm going to start making this. But what I think really comes out of is it gives people more of an open palate because now they can say, all right, I can go to uh, you know somebody that's pouring mead and I know more about it and I want to learn more about it and I want to experience more about it. In, in my, you know, my experience and our, our short time together that we've had and even on the podcast, you as mead maker, Alan, you're impacting the industry. Do you have a sense of your place in, in the mead making world? Um, you know, I've, I'm, I'm passionate about mead, you know that. So anytime I can and just introduce somebody to mead, uh, I, I feel like I've accomplished something. So I feel like I'm just a little, little, um, you know, needle in a haystack, so to speak, as far as. You're very humble. I mean, you talk about you're like a little pin, a little pinhead in the world. But Alan, you're a pinhead with this megaphone and people listen. And I think it's your genuine nature about how you go about your craft. And, and people sense that. People sense when, you know, people are just, you know, kind of being blowhearted or really saying, I'd like to give you some feedback because I just, again, I look at it this way. If you help people get better, you get better. And then the whole mead industry gets better. Absolutely. I want everybody to enjoy mead and make good mead if they want to make it. And I want to make it as easy as possible for them to do that. Like I said, I don't hold any secrets. So, Well, you're making meat over there. I got, I count three taps at least behind you. Um, what are you enjoying now on the podcast? What's, uh, what's in your glass? So actually, this is a, a session piment, which a piment is going to be a grape-based or wine-based mead. Um, and this is actually a Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, session payment that I made, and it actually just took gold medal at, at Mazer Cup. So, well, for those that can't see on the podcast, it's a brilliant. It, it, you see the Cabernet, you see that that crimson red. It, it's it looks delicious. You've got a, a nice veil on the glass from from where my vantage point. Oh yeah, it's it's delicious. It's got a good uh, tannin and structure to it. Um, yeah, it's. The Mazer Cup decided to do a, a an extra 
cat subcategory this year, they did a, a session meads, which they haven't done before. So all of these meads that were in that group were going to be, you know, carbonated, cold, lower ABV. Um, and I think there was like 20 something entries and I ended up getting gold. So very happy about that. And this, it's delicious. Well, congratulations. Everybody has their own personality in, in what they prepare, what they present, what they create. What do you think is your need personality? I use a, a crap ton of different honeys. I use anywhere from three to five honeys typically in, in my berry, you know, my mellow mouths, my piments, anything other than like a traditional, I've got three to five different honeys in there to add complexity. And I think when, when people taste my needs, um, they, they get that complexity in it and the flavors kind of come from different areas and different kinds of flavors. And it's, and that's, that's one of the things I enjoy about my meats is the, is the complexity of the honeys I use. You talked about competing again next year for mead maker of the year. What other, you know, we, we talked about maybe doing a Polish mead, but what are some of the, you know, where do you want to, where do you see yourself in five years, Alan? <laughs> Well, I'm not going to keep competing every year. It's it's a it's a task. It's expensive. Um, you know, having to bottle up everything and pack everything and ship it out and pay the entry fees. It's it's a task. Uh, but I do love getting you know when you're listening to the results and you hear your name. It's it's very exciting. Um, so I want to see if I can repeat. Um, just you know, just to prove to myself that it wasn't a fluke. Um, although getting uh, the American Homebrewers Association Mead Maker of the Year this year was like, wow, I, I must be doing okay. Because I thought maybe winning the, uh, the American Mead Makers Association Mead Maker of the Year, maybe it was a fluke. So I, I want to try to repeat and see if I can do it again. It sounds to me like you're, you're what is it? You know, Kobe Bryant would, you know, celebrate that hour that they won the championship. And the next thing you know, he was back in the court practicing for next year. And you kind of say, all right, I won that. I'll, you know, kind of set that aside. But my guess is you, you'll be working the next year <laughs> to try to repeat or find another category to win at. I, I, I get a sense from you on that. Yeah. Braggots is another category that I haven't indulged in very much. It's a very, man, that's difficult to find that balance between a beer and a mead and, and make it so it's good. We just spent some time with Obscurity, um, Mead Hall, and Cidery, and they make a phenomenally good braggot. Um, they're, they, they use that, and we, we did a couple we – we enjoyed a couple of things this past weekend, and I, I've never had a, a braggot, and I've never had a, a, a beer come together with that much complexity and quality. It was a nice braggot Hefeweizen, and it was just delicious. Mm. So, I again, this, this – what, what you produce, I can't wait to, you know, come together again and uh, just try some of these uh, meads and the ideas that are just coming out of your uh, mental laboratory. Oh, man, you can't keep up with the mind because the mind can create all these things that you want to do. And, it, it, you know, it takes several months to make a mead. So you can't you can't possibly keep up with it. Do you see yourself going into more of a commercial role or a consulting role? No, consulting, yes. And, and I wouldn't even mind uh, making mead for someone's meadery uh, 
or winery or whatever, but to be the actual meadery business owner, that's, that's not something I want to pursue. You have other endeavors uh, and, and, and things going on in your personal life too, right? Yeah, my life is good. My home life is good. My work life is good. I'm, I don't need to shuffle that up at this point in my life. Well, for us, this was a treat. And you know, we, we've covered a lot on the podcast. And for those that have listened to some of the other episodes, we have episodes where we've talked to other mead makers and they kind of give the basis on making mead. But one of the things that I was excited to talk to you about and have you share, which you have, are things like competitions, are things like the the, the creative nuances that that great that that create that higher level need. Are there is there anything we haven't talked about on the podcast tonight that, that you'd like people to know about, you'd like people to share? with you. I, I just like to maybe put out a few little for, for people that are just new into mead making. Um, Cause I, you know, I, I'm on online a lot, a lot of mead, mead groups and I, and I see so many people that are, that are getting into mead, which is great, but I, I see so many mistakes made at the beginning level that, it, that it's a little frustrating because there are some really great resources to go to, you know, the internet, just has so much bad information. There's so much good information. And if you're brand new to meat making, how are you going to know which one is good and which one's bad? Exactly. So I'm telling you, you know, get on a, like a modern meat makers, Facebook group. That's what I'm on. That's what carbon is on. Um, I, I made it a point to really pay attention to the moderators, the administrators, the group experts, because there's, tens of thousands of people on these groups and not all of them give good advice. So I know the moderators, the administrators, the group experts are all gonna give good advice. So follow them. Um, don't start out trying to make an 18% traditional mead. It's gonna taste like gasoline, okay? You have to have your alcohol in balance with your flavors in the end product. Honey in and of itself, most honeys don't have enough flavor to hold 18% or even 14% or even 12%. Most honeys, you know, wildflower honeys are going to be probably balanced out with somewhere around 8 to 10% ABV. So you, you such a, and again, it's such a passion and such a desire to see people do well and succeed and you want to be a leader. You want to be an educator. How do people connect with you? How do people find you? I know you said you're on Facebook. If they want to reach out and ask some more questions or just learn more about mead making. Yeah, the best place would be on Facebook on, uh, on Modern Mead Makers. I'm a group expert on there. Um, and I will, like I said, I will tell anybody anything about my processes. I won't hide anything um, because really I can give somebody my exact recipe and there's no way they could still make the exact same mead that I make because it really comes down to, you know, you can make a good mead with my recipe, but without all the little fine tuning and knowing what a good mead is supposed to taste like, then you're not going to be quite there. It's still going to take you some practice uh, and some trial and error to get to, to get to the point where the people like me that win these big comps where we are at. So, and that's fine. It's good to learn that way. Well, we've, with Fermented Adventure, we've never made mead, but I might go after you or ask you the recipe for that fluff and utter mead because oh. that sounds over the top great. 
Yeah, it's it's pretty delicious. That I wouldn't recommend that one for for now. I would probably recommend my my sweet clover traditional. Uh, that is, I just actually blew that tap like two nights ago. <laughs> okay. That not only won uh, silver at NHC this year, but it also um, won best of show in in a mead comp with over three hundred uh, entries just last year. So. And it's such a simple mead to make. It's one honey, one yeast, a little bit of American oak. Throw it all in there, and it's you know ready in a few weeks, and it's delicious. So something like that would be great to start with. I I really hope that the same way that you are impacted, that you create more mead makers on their way too. And hopefully, we've done a little bit of that this evening by the fermented adventure world getting a chance to hear your story, your journey. And hopefully at some point, they'll get to meet you directly and taste exactly what you're producing. Because I have to tell you, when they try it, they're just going to be blown away like I was. It's just amazing stuff that you're making. Yeah. There's not too many people that try my meads that are like, I don't like this. <laughs> Something then, wrong with those you know, people, Alan. <laughs> one of the things is when somebody asks me about mead, you know, the very first thing I ask them back is how much time do you have? Because I, I will talk your ear off. Well, I, I don't think you did that when we first met, but I look forward to more conversations with you in the future. Thanks for taking the time to be on the podcast. Thanks for being a friend of Fermented Adventure. And uh, we can't wait to, to see you at MeadCon 2023 or the next event that we uh, find ourselves at together. Sounds awesome. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Alan.